You know, for over 11 years, Little Diva's balloon decorating has turned events into experiences, and celebrations have been turned into parties. Let Little Divas worry about making your event the best that it can be while you relax and enjoy it. Any event you can imagine, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, celebrations of life, any event that you can possibly imagine, Little Divas can bring it to life. They specialize in balloon sculptures, cake table archways, and doorway arches. Get a hold of Little Divas right now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one that people will never forget. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Or visit them on facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Of course, delivery is always available for a slight additional charge. Little Divas, it's where memories begin. You're listening to The Mountain Mysteries, a production of Sloan Studios. The following may contain strong language and adult situations with depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. This week on The Mountain Mysteries... Almost everyone that I know loves a good whodunit. But what happens when a mystery never has that satisfying moment? The ending when the killer is revealed. That moment when Columbo says, One more thing. The next set of police cases we will talk about are strange, creepy, and annoyingly without a conclusion. They're some of the most baffling unsolved mysteries of the last few decades. From San Francisco's The Zodiac Killer, who kept cops on their toes and chasing all over town to find him, to the Tom and Shud case, who also used codes, but was in another part of the world. The Terra Calico case, the heartbreaking case of a young girl who was abducted and murdered. And then there's the severed feet mystery. The dead woman who named her killer? Uh, you'll hear more about that. The boy in the box, we've talked about him before. The Jeanette De Palma case. The Glico Morinaga case, which took place in Japan. And if ghost ships are your thing, well, you're in luck. We'll be talking about the SS Arang Medan. A true case in which an entire crew mysteriously disappeared and perished in 1947. And the Cape Intruder. A case local to Cape Elizabeth, Maine, in which the community experienced something unnerving. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is Episode 63, Bolo, 10 Unsolved Haunting Murders. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see. There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. 
reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. There are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan. We'll start with one of the most publicized, unsolved cases in the world. It's so popular. There's even a website dedicated to tracking this killer down, if he's still alive. The Zodiac Killer. You know, most people are usually quiet about their crimes, but Zodiac, as he called himself, was anything except quiet. The years were 1968 and 1969. This guy terrorized San Francisco with a murder spree, taunting the cops at every turn with his coded letters to a local paper. He had at least five killings directly connected to him, but he claims to have killed 37 people. Well, this nightmare all started when Betty Lou Jensen, who was 16 at the time, and David Arthur Faraday, who was 17, were found laying outside of the bullet-peppered car in a lover's lane kind of place. Jensen was found dead at the scene with five gunshot wounds to her back. Faraday died of a bullet to the head on the way to the hospital. Half a year later, the couple who parked their car only four miles away in a very similar place from that crime scene were also gunned down. One injured, one dead. The survivor, Michael McGow, was able to give a description of the killer. He said that this guy was heavyset, a white guy, around five foot eight. But it would be the Zodiac Killer himself that would give the police the remaining evidence. At 12.48 a.m. that same night, police received what could only be termed as a strange call. The caller said, quote, I wish to report a double murder. If you go one mile east on the Columbus Parkway to a public park, you'll find the kids in a brown car. They have been shot with a 9mm Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye. End quote. About a month later, newspapers received the first letter from the Zodiac Killer. Now, he demanded that they publish the letter on the front page, or he would go on a killing rampage. The letter described the murders, all written with this mysterious cipher that seemed to form a code. This was a common theme with other letters that this killer would send, all signed with a cross-in-a-circle symbol, or as we call them, crosshairs. One such letter was decoded by a high school teacher and his wife. It read as follows. I like killing people because it's so much fun. 
It's more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something like this gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and those that I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you'll try to slow down my attempts or stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. End quote. The Zodiac Killer would go on killing, and he would always leave behind frustrating evidence for the police in the form of coded letters, anonymous phone calls, and those crosshairs were on each one of the letters like we told you about. And sometimes they were written on the victim's cars. And he would even send the cops blood-stained shirts and accounts from survivors. But despite that, the police have never found him. The Zodiac Killer wasn't the only one who loved to use codes. On the morning of December 1st, 1948, a body was found on Somerton Beach in Adelaide, Australia. The man's body was in perfect condition, with no injuries to be found. He was well-dressed, although the labels on his clothes were missing. In his pocket was a train ticket to Henley Beach, never to be used. It would be a month later when they would find a suitcase that was linked to him at Adelaide Railroad Station. Its label was removed as well as those on the articles of clothing inside it. Unfortunately, it led to no clues, just like his autopsy, which reported no foreign substances in his body that could directly link his death to poisoning. A month later, they would find the most substantial but puzzling evidence in a secret pocket in the man's trousers. It read, Tom and Shoed. Public library officials called in to translate the phrase. They concluded that it meant ended or finished, which can be found in a collection of poems entitled The Rubiat of Armar Karyam. Immediately, police ran a nationwide search for the book where the scrap paper was torn from. A man came forward, claiming that he found the book in the back seat of his unlocked car a week or two before they discovered the body. On the back of it was a strange code scrawled out in pencil, a phone number linking to a nurse was also discovered, though the nurse said that she had given a copy of the Rabiat to an army officer named Alfred Boxall. Both the man who found the book and the nurse denied any connection with the dead man. They never got any further with the case, although many suspect that it may have been a suicide, since the book's theme was about having no regrets when life ends. Others think he may be a spy, and until there are any breaks in the case, his grave will remain reading. Here lies the unknown man who was found at Somerton Beach, 1st of December, 1948. It was on the morning of September 20th, 1988, in Balin, New Mexico. It seemed 
like the perfect day for a bike ride. Tara Calico borrowed her mother's pink bike to go out for a spin. She was very outgoing and very active and worked as a bank teller and was studying to become either a psychologist or a psychiatrist. She planned to play tennis that afternoon and asked her mom to drive out after her in case she got a flat tire and didn't return home by noon. Tara never did come home. Every lead went to a dead end until a year later when a photo was found depicting a young woman her age and a missing boy, both gagged. The Polaroid photograph was found in a parking lot outside a junior food store in Florida. The nine-year-old, identified as Michael Henley, went missing in the same area as Calico in April of 1988 when he was hunting turkeys with his father. They appeared to be in the back of a van with a copy of a book written by V.C. Andrews, Calico's favorite author, lying right beside the girl. At first, Tara's mother didn't think the girl was her, but the girl in the photograph had a scar identical to Tara. Well, regardless, due to the lack of evidence, many experts dismissed the photograph. It was in 1990 that Michael Henley's body was found in the Zuni Mountains where he was hunting, which strongly disconnects the theory that the two were abducted and taken to Florida. Calico's parents would eventually die never finding out who took their daughter or exactly what happened to her. As odd as this sounds, it was in 2007 that a girl was roaming a beach in British Columbia. She found a sneaker. Well, there's not much odd about that. Until she looked inside. Then she found a sock. And when she opened the sock, she found a human foot was inside. Since then, a number of severed feet have washed ashore. The feet have been connected to five men, one a woman, and three of unknown sex. Throughout the years, with a hoax foot thrown here and there, the case has never been completely closed. Oh, but there's a lot of theories floating around as to who the feet belong to. The Vancouver police managed to identify one foot in 2008, matching its DNA to a man who was described as suicidal. They later were able to match two other feet to a woman who was also believed to have committed suicide. Because of these findings, many speculate that the feet belonged to those who jumped off a bridge to their deaths. But because of the rarity of only feet and no other body parts showing up ever, some people think that the feet were connected to that of a plane crash close to a nearby island. Others suggest that they were the shoes of the victims of the Asian tsunami in 2004, since the make of these shoes were all manufactured before 2004. Whatever or wherever the sources of these feet are coming from, they have left the world baffled for years.
Although our next case has been solved, how it was solved remains an enigma. In 1977, a respiratory therapist in Chicago was murdered in her own home. Teresita Bassa was found under a flaming mattress with a butcher knife buried in her chest. The police tried to track down her stolen jewelry, but they didn't have any luck. They also failed in trying to link any of the suspects to the crime. It seemed impossible to find the person that committed this crime. That is, until Remy Chua, a co-worker who barely knew the victim, involuntarily became a leading source of information. Chua began having frequent visions and nightmares about Bassa. It started in the locker room of her work, where she experienced seeing a man's face behind Bassa. This would repeat in her dreams. Chua then began channeling Bassa's spirit when conversing with her husband. While channeling Bassa's spirit, Chua told her husband the entire story of the murder. She claimed an orderly at the hospital named Alan Showery was helping Bassa with her television when he assaulted her. He then killed her and set her mattress on fire. The spirit was even able to give the details of what happened to her jewelry, which was given to Showery's common-law wife. Mr. Chua convinced his wife to give these details to the authorities. Well, the police, as you can imagine, were skeptical at first, but after seeing the boss's jewelry on Showery's wife, boss's cousin was able to confirm it just as the spirit said she could. The police were able to convict the man for 14 years in jail. Sad to say there was not enough evidence to convict him longer. But was it really Boss's ghost who named her killer? Perhaps Chua had known some facts in the case and disguised it as a spirit possessing her? Well, whatever it was that led police to the killer remains a mystery to this day. You can hear more about this case by listening to The Mountain Mysteries episode number 58. The Telltale Ghost, The Mountain Mystery of Teresita Bassa, now available. You know, for over 11 years, Little Diva's balloon decorating has turned events into experiences, and celebrations have been turned into parties. Let Little Diva's worry about making your event the best that it can be while you relax and enjoy it. Any event you can imagine, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, celebrations of life, any event that you can possibly imagine, Little Divas can bring it to life. They specialize in balloon sculptures, cake table archways, and doorway arches. Get a hold of Little Divas right now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one that people will never forget. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Or visit them on Facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Of course, delivery is always available for a slight additional charge. Little Divas, it's where memories begin.
The year was 1957. It was in Philadelphia when a hunter found the bruised body of a boy in a J.C. Penny box. The boy was around four to six years of age. He was completely nude and wrapped in flannel. He seemed to have died from blows to the head. Fearing his muskrat traps would be confiscated by police, the hunter didn't even report the body. It was two days later when a college student found the body. That was when the police started the investigation on the case of who is now known as America's unknown child. It immediately attracted the media's attention, and flyers of the boy were sent throughout Pennsylvania. Police received a lot of leads, thousands of them, but they were never able to uncover the identity of the young boy. They tried tracking back the J.C. Penny box and checking the boy's fingerprints, but every lead led to a dead end. However, there were two promising leads of note. One involved a foster home that was about a mile and a half away. A medical examiner who pursued the case until his death had a psychic lead him to the foster home, where he found a bassinet similar to the one that was sold in the box. Hanging on a clothesline also were blankets much like the one he was wrapped in. He believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the home, and she didn't want to be found as an unwed mother. Police interviewed the couple, but it wasn't long after that that they closed the investigation. In 2003, they opened the case again when they were interviewing a woman identified as M, who claimed her abusive mother bought the child back in 1954. According to her, her mother killed the boy in a fit of rage because M was mentally unstable. Well, the investigation was closed again as well, leaving the boy to remain America's unknown child. Usually, people connect witches to Salem. But for this particular case, the witches were in Springfield, New Jersey. And it all started in 1972, when a dog brought home a decomposed forearm. Well, this prompted a police search, and a body was soon found afterwards. As a matter of fact, it was on top of a cliff in Springfield. The body was identified to be that of Jeanette De Palmer, a 16-year-old girl who had gone missing for six weeks. Well, as you can imagine, all of a sudden the rumors started to churn and spread. As to the cause of her death, of course. The hill where she was discovered was covered with occult symbols and, well, a lot of people believed her body was placed on a makeshift altar. A lot of people, locals, even some police members, Blame a coven of witches, otherwise known as Satanists, who used the Palma for a human sacrifice. Because of a flood, much of the case's details have since been washed away. But some reports from local newspapers mention that police never could determine the cause of death because 
of her body that was so badly decomposed. They had also investigated a local homeless man who was a prime suspect, only to find no connection with the killing. As for the occult theory? Well, many believe that De Palma may have provoked a group of sanctum-worshipping teens at her high school when she was trying to evangelize them. She was involved with a group who helped drug addicts by finding faith in Christ. The reverend who ran that group theorized that she was selected as a sacrifice to the group because of this reason. Was she a human sacrifice? Or did these suspicions help hide the real killer? It's a distinct possibility that no one will ever know. Okay, brace yourselves, because this case is as twisted as a TV crime show. It deals with the Japanese company's Izaki Glyco, best known for its Pocky Snacks and Morinaga. In 1984, two armed men in masks broke in to CEO Katsuhisa Izaki's mother's home in Bounder taking the house key of Glyco's chief executive officer. Entering his house, they also tied up his wife and daughter. Mrs. Izaki attempted to try and negotiate money with the men, but they were after something else. They cut off the telephone cords and raided the bathroom, where Izaki and his two other kids were hiding. They abducted Izaki and held him hostage at a warehouse. They issued a ransom for one billion yen and 100 kilograms of gold bars. Well, their plans were discovered when Izaki managed to escape three days later. It was only a few days after that, just when the company thought it had escaped extortion. Vehicles in its headquarters parking lot were set on fire. Then a container with hydraulic acid and a threatening letter addressed to Glyco were found in Ibarki, where the warehouse was located. Well, this started up a string of letters from a person or a group that called itself The Monster with 21 Faces, named after a villain in a Japanese detective series. The letters threatened the company's products, claiming that their candies were laced with potassium cyanide soda. Glyco was forced to pull their products off the shelves, and that resulted in a $21 million loss and the layoff of 450 part-time workers. After months of tormenting Glyco, the monster with 21 faces, decided to look for fun someplace else. Their final letter towards the company read, We forgive Glyco. And with that abrupt ending, they turned their sights on the food companies, Marudai Ham, House Foods Corporation, and Fujia, in exchange of stopping their harassment towards Marudai, one of its employees, was to hand them ransom money on a train. That was when an investigator who disguised himself as an employee saw the prime suspect known as the fox-eyed man. The man was well-built, his hair cut short and permed, with eyes like those of a fox. 
After they dropped off the ransom as instructed, he and another investigator tried to follow the fox-eyed man, only to lose him. They would get a second chance later on, but he again evaded them. After continuing harassment towards the police, a year later, police superintendent Yamamoto committed suicide by setting himself on fire, ashamed of his failure to capture the fox-eyed man. Five days following the death, though, the monster with 21 faces sent its final letter to the media. The letter read, Yamamoto of Shiga Prefecture Police died. How stupid of him. We've got no friends or secret hiding places in Shiga. It's Yoshino or Shikata that should have died. What have they been doing for as long as one year and five months? Don't let bad guys like us get away with it. There's many more fools who want to copy us. Career Yamamoto died like a man, so we decided to give our condolence. We decided to forget about torturing food-making companies. If anyone blackmails any of the food-making companies, it's not us, but somebody copying us. We are bad guys. That means that we've got more to do than bullying companies. It's fun to lead a bad man's life. And they signed it, Monster with 21 Faces. And with that final statement, the monster with 21 faces disappeared, never to be heard from again. Ghost ships aren't just depicted in legends and movies, like the Pirates of the Caribbean. In this true story, the entire crew mysteriously perished, and it all started in 1947. It was then that ships traveled the Straits of Malacca, located between Sumatra and Malaysia, and they heard a troubling distress call. All officers, including the captain, were dead, lying in a chart room and bridge. Possibly, the whole crew was gone. Following the message was some indecipherable Morse code. An American ship called Silver Star answered the distress call and found the Aurang Midden, but there were no signs of the crew on the deck, even when they tried to call them. And so they boarded the ship only to find themselves in a horror scene. Scattered across the deck were the corpses of the Dutchmen, their faces construed, in such a way that one would think they'd witnessed something ghastly before they died. Even the dog was dead. Its face was also contorted in agony. The captain's body was found on the bridge. While the communication officer was still at his post, his cold fingers still pressing the telegraph. The American crew went down to the boiler room and checked and found the same situation. Despite this being over a hundred degrees down there, a cold chill ran all over them. Retreating to their ship again, they decided to tow the Aurang Midden to port. But as soon as they attached the tow line, smoke began billowing out of the ship. Moments later, it exploded, sinking into its watery grave, taking all of its secrets along with it. What was it that the crew saw? Some believe it was the work of the paranormal. Maybe a band of ghost pirates raided the ship or aliens decided to drop in 
Such unexplainable things do happen. As firefighter and EMT Mick Mayers has experienced in his firehouse, others, however, have a more scientific explanation. Many theorize that the Dutch ship was smuggling hazardous materials such as potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin. Seawater may have interacted with the cargo, causing the toxic gases to be released, and that, in turn, poisoned the crew. The nitroglycerin would later cause the explosion. Or maybe there was trouble in the boiler room and carbon monoxide killed the crew and a fire got out of hand and destroyed the ship. What's most troubling is the fact that, although the Silver Star is very real, there isn't any registration records of the ship. Did the ship even exist? Or is this just a sailor's tale? The last unsolved case. Well, it's not famous, but we definitely thought it's one that you would enjoy hearing about. A friend of mine had sent me a clip archive regarding this old neighborhood watch. You see, they live in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. And it wasn't that long ago that the community experienced something unnerving. During the night, victims who kept their doors locked would wake up in the morning to catch a brief glimpse of a man staring at them. Before they could even react, though, the man would flee the scene, leaving the house just as it was when he entered it. Nothing was ever stolen. Nobody injured or killed. All that he took was their privacy when he snuck into their locked houses and simply stood there to watch them sleep true story. A rough sketch depicting the man in his early 20s played on the local news, but they never caught up with him. Everybody seemed to have thought that they knew who this was, and the police received a number of calls from a lot of people that were concerned. Of course, these people had names. Still, nothing ever panned out. Although two people named the same person, the police never did catch who they called the Cape Intruder. After some intrusions in August, December, and February back in 2005, he never did break into any other home again. Perhaps he had his feel of staring at sleeping bodies during that time period, but the thought that such a person could come into your home, even when locked, to simply do nothing more than stand there and just watch you sleep when you're at your most vulnerable. No, that's the stuff nightmares are made of. And of course, it does serve as a grim reminder to always make sure that, indeed, your doors are locked. Follow The Mountain Mysteries on Facebook.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries, on Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries, and support us on Patreon. Links are on the homepage, www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. 
Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Production of Sloan Studios. Stay mysterious.